morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. First time I've seen you. Let me read from Psalm 95, 1-2. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Let's stand and uh, with great joy in our hearts, praise the Lord. Eternal God and Father, by whose word we are created and by whose love we are redeemed, give us power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, that we may be filled to the measure of all his fullness. And in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's great to see you here. As I said at the start of the service, a happy new year to, to you all. It's the first time I've been since uh, coming back from Adelaide and Port Augusta just on Friday night. Uh, we start a new series today over summer. Uh, we're going to be looking at the intriguing book of Esther. 
And I say intriguing because it's a book where God is in the background working quietly and silently uh, through this incredible story. And it's written in the Old Testament and it's a very dangerous time uh, when God's people were encountering the uh, very dangerous Persian Empire. I will let Andrew Graham uh, do the rest of the talking about Esther, but it is to say it should be a great four weeks as we look at this very intriguing book. Uh, I've just got a couple of announcements. Firstly, if you're visiting with us today, it's great to have you join us. Uh, I know at this time of the year we have people both uh, on holidays, and if you're here visiting Manly, great, welcome. Uh, we also have people looking for a new church as they move into the area, and if either one of those are you, uh, very well welcome to you. My name is Bruce Clark, the Senior Minister, and we'd love you to come and join for a cup of tea and coffee. Uh, is morning tea on this morning, it's worth saying? It is on, uh, after the service in the function room across the courtyard. Um, secondly, I do send greetings uh, to you from our Indigenous Christian brothers and sisters I've been with uh, over in Port Augusta this past week. Uh, I met with them on New Year's Eve. It was an interesting New Year's Eve. There was no reference to New Year's Eve. Uh, we just had a great time catching up. Uh, literally, Indigenous leaders from all over Australia had driven. Uh, the white guy flew in. Um, some of them had driven 22 hours through the night to be there from all places. And someone asked, why Port Augusta? And I hadn't realised this. It is literally the hub uh, or the gateway for the rest of Australia, particularly for Indigenous people. Uh, you can go west to Perth. Uh, numbers of them came from there and also Kalgoorlie. You can go up north to Darwin. Uh, you can go northeast to Brisbane and New South Wales, or you can go east to Melbourne. And we had people from all of those areas. Uh, and it was an inspiring time. I'm going to write up my thoughts in the weekly email. Uh, but one of the things that struck me was uh, the powerful way the gospel is working in Indigenous communities. And these leaders, I want to say, I was there to encourage them. They encouraged me. Um, incredibly inspiring uh, men and women that I met with. And you just saw the power of the gospel in the way it brings hope uh, in what is often hopeless situations, and in particular, uh, numbers of stories of uh, survivors from the stolen generation and the way their lives have been helped and literally transformed through the gospel. So I will tell more in my weekly email, uh, but that's just uh, greetings from Neville Naden and the rest, and Kathy Naden uh, from the group I've been with. Secondly, uh, sorry, lastly, a sad announcement. Some of you may not have caught up with the news that Basil South. Uh, a long-time member here at St Matthew's and this congregation at 8 o'clock, sadly died on Boxing Day and having entered full-time care earlier in December. Uh, a service of, of cremation was held, uh, a small private one, on the 30th of December, while the family, who typically have always come out here over the summer break, uh, were here in Australia. A memorial service will be held on April the 5th when family are able to regather in Australia. And Basil and Edie's daughter from the UK is caring for Edie at present and looking for a full-time caring option for her. And Martin is gonna pray and give thanks for Basil's life as well as pray for the situation with Edie. Uh, we're now gonna stand and we're gonna affirm our faith together uh, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I invite you to stand. Together, what is it that we believe? I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated and Martin's going to lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you are eternal, almighty, sovereign. We praise and thank you that through the death and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, call you Father and come to you as your loved children. 
Thank you for allowing us in prayer to join with you in fulfilling your purposes. In your mercy, hear our prayers. Father, look with mercy on the people of this world as we all continue to encounter the COVID virus in one way or another. We pray for healing and a lessening in the spread of the virus. We bring before you the people of Ukraine as they suffer physically, mentally, and spiritually from the conflict in their land. Lord, bring peace. Equip our Christian brothers and sisters there to act with Christ's compassion and love to those around them at this time. Father, we pray for our vision to grow your church through the gospel in Manly and beyond. We pray for our senior minister, Bruce Clark, as he leads us. Lord, give us all hearts and minds to work out that vision in practical ways, being lights for the gospel with love and sensitivity as we relate to people we know and those we encounter for the first time. We thank you for our church wardens and parish councillors. May they continue with all due diligence to carry out their responsibilities to provide the right framework to enable our mission to be maintained and developed. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to support prayerfully and financially our new mission partners, Marty and Jenny Ford, in their work at the Evangelical Theological College in Singapore. Enable Marty to, to continue to research well and lecture clearly. Please give Jenny good opportunities in which she may conduct her women's ministry as they train men and women for gospel ministry across Asia. May all they do be for your glory. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for the life of Basil South and for his salvation by grace through faith. We uphold before you his family as they grieve and in particular his wife Edie as she mourns her loss. Give her a real sense of your peace. We also pray that the family will be able to find a suitable place for Edie to receive full-time care. Comfort and heal merciful Lord all who are in sorrow, need, sickness or any other trouble. Let's take a short time of quiet to pray for those who we know who are suffering at this time. Father, we bring before you all of us who suffer from anxiety or depression. We pray for those who work with and care for those who suffer in this way. May they all recognize that underneath are your everlasting arms. In your son's name, amen. And as we close our time of prayer, may we echo Paul when he wrote to the church at Philippi, Father, this is our prayer, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.
reading this morning is from Esther chapter 2 verses 1 to 18 and it, you can find it if you like to follow along on page 493 in the church bibles which you'll find just tucked under the seat in front of you. Okay background. Queen Vashti has been deposed because she refused to attend a banquet given by her husband, King Xerxes, who is king of Persia. The story continues. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she'd done and what he'd decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the women. And let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who'd been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favour. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. 
Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning returned to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abigail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Thanks so much for reading so beautifully there, Margaret. It would have been good if she had it kept going, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, so for our guests, my name is Andrew. Uh, welcome here at St Matthew's. I'm one of the ministers here. And it's great to see everyone, especially those whom I haven't seen in the new year. I, I hope it's a wonderful year for you. So we've got this little book of Esther right in the middle of, of the Bible. You could almost lose it next to some of the giants of the Bible, like Job and the Psalms and uh, one or two Chronicles. But it's an intriguing little book. It's a book, as we've heard already, just from that part of, of uh, one chapter that we've read, that is filled with people who are powerful and beautiful. We'll also find that there are people who are brutal and erratic, and more of that when we go back to chapter one. But really, it's, it's a story of how two seemingly insignificant people emerge in the massive empire of Persia to bring about a wonderful rescue for God's people at a time when they were in great danger. But what, what makes Esther unique in the Bible is there's 167 verses and God is completely hidden from you. Uh, there is no mention of God at all. There are no miracles, there's no visions, there's no prophets, there's no dreams. That hiddenness of God in the book of Esther is one of the ways it's a great gift to us because the hiddenness of God in Esther mirrors the world that many of us find ourselves living in today, uh, particularly in the West where events so often just seem to take their normal course and miracles are, are few and far between if we experience them at all. And that hiddenness of God for us can be difficult when things are difficult for us, when we're living with distress, when we're living in disappointment. So that's where the book of Esther speaks to us because life was very difficult for God's ancient people, the Jews, in the Persian Empire of Esther's day. I mean, for, for, decades, for decades now, they had lived in exile from their homeland from the promised land, from Jerusalem. They were scattered now through this massive empire of Persia. Just a few of them had been able to return to Jerusalem. But we learn from the Apostle Peter 
that we are described as exiles. Uh, as he begins his first letter, 1 Peter, uh, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. It's a very apt way of describing God's people today because we're not really at home here. We have a beautiful home that we're longing for and we're not quite at home here. What we're going to see over these next few weeks is that this hiddenness of God from his people who are in distress, the the absence of the miraculous does not mean the absence of God. Esther's going to show us that God remains committed to his people even though they may not hear him speaking out loud, even though they may not see him at work in miraculous ways. Reading Esther over this next four weeks is going to be a treat for us as we begin this year. It's a great way to start the year. It's going to equip us to keep trusting God, keep living his way no matter what challenges we may face and no matter how far off he might seem to us. It will be a great encouragement to us. It will really feed us and strengthen us as this year begins. So let's go back to the start of Esther. And it'd be really nice if you've got your your Bible open in front of you, if you can find Esther again or if it happened to be open already. What we're going to do is we're going to go back to the start of Esther and and, and we're going to see, this begins to show us what a dangerous place this world can be to live in especially for God's people. It's the story of Xerxes. Have a look at it there in chapter 1, verse 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. Now, the citadel is the seat of government within the big city and he's got all his his honchos there who are going to do his work and they've got a lot of work to do because there's 127 provinces that are part of the Persian Empire on a on a modern map of the world it would include places like northwestern India Pakistan Afghanistan Uzbekistan Kazakhstan Iran Iraq Armenia Syria Lebanon Israel Jordan Turkey northern Greece, Egypt, Libya, Eritrea, Ethiopia and northern Sudan. That's about a dozen. There are 127 provinces quite distinct within this vast empire. So what we're hearing as we open the book of Esther is Xerxes is the most powerful man in the world. And what we learn as we read on is he wants everybody to know. And so he calls them all all together. Verse 3 says... In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media. The princes and the nobles and the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed gardens of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were there in the citadel of Susa. In that day you could travel the whole world and you would see nothing like the garden in the palace of Xerxes. All this banquet that he puts on for everybody in the citadel and the nobles beyond. And it's a fabulous banquet. So fabulous that everyone gets their own personalised goblet of gold to drink the wine that they can drink as much of as they like. But everything is not as the king might hope. We learn that from verse 10. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. 
But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen, Esh, es, Queen sorry, Vashti refused to come. The king became furious and burned with anger. Now, this is all very disturbing. Absolute power has been vested in a man who gets drunk in public. And the thing he values most about his queen is her beauty so that he can get her to display herself in front of thousands of drunk men. It's all about marking his greatness. But the irony here is he rules 127 provinces from India to Kush, but he can't make his queen obey him. Very interesting development. So what does this drunken, angry man do? Well, after consulting with his cabinet, we read that he vanishes Vashti. He banishes Vashti. And then he uses every communication resource which is at his disposal to make sure that everybody in the empire learns from what she did and what happened to her. Xerxes, it turns out, is a brutal and erratic despot. Living under his rule is to live in a very dangerous place. That's what we learned from chapter 1. In chapter 2, as the search for a new queen unfolds, we'll begin to see that this, this world over which he rules is an especially dangerous place for the people of God. So in chapter 2, it's beauty pageant, Persian style. Uh, but this pageant is one you don't volunteer for. The commissioners are sent everywhere to find young, beautiful women. Beautiful physically and sexually. And wherever you are, if they find you, they'll bring you to his harem. And at his harem, there'll be beauty treatments for you and training all to get ready for your night with the king. So in this pageant, there's one big prize, and we hear that Esther wins that. There's a few consolation prizes, but frankly, there are a lot of big losers. It's terrible. I mean, depending on what happens on your night uh, with the king, uh, you may never see him again, but you'll never leave his harem. You'll never see your family or your household again. You'll never see another man. Uh, if the king likes you, you might see him again. You'll be back in his bed. Uh, if he really likes you, he may choose to marry you so that your children can be his heirs. Uh, but of course, the big prize is if he really, really likes you, and Esther, he really, really likes Esther, he'll crown you as queen. Now, just a side note, this is not in the Bible, but it's in the historian, the Greek historian Herodotus. I, I quote this to show you that um, it's not just the young women who are treated heartlessly in the court of Xerxes. Xerxes says that every year 500 boys were taken from their homes and castrated for service in his court. So everyone's sexuality is, is at the disposal of this king. He, he is a brutal and despotic uh, and, and erratic despot. So this, is a, this, is a, this world empire is a dangerous place to live, whether you're the queen who displeases him or whether you're a little boy or a young woman. But we also begin to hear, did you notice this as, as Margaret was reading for us, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be a Jewish person, one of, one of God's people who has the promises that God made to Abraham, uh, who'd lived, their heritage was in Jerusalem. It's a, Jewish, it, it's a dangerous place for you. Did you notice that? That ominous note that struck as we're told, that, that her, her cousin Mordecai had instructed her not to let anybody know that she was a Jew. Twice we're told, firstly in verse 10, Esther had not revealed her, her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Same kind of thing is said down at verse 20. Now there's just an ominous tone at this point which is struck in the story. But by the middle of our next chapter, which we'll see next week, it becomes a live and present danger for every Jewish person in the whole of the empire because Xerxes signs off on a plan to murder each one of them, every one of them in every province of the empire. 
more on that next week and, and more about Esther in a moment. But there was one bit at the end of chapter that we didn't read. So let's have a look at it from verse 21. We're told that during the time Mordecai, so this is Esther's cousin, the bloke that's raised her, she was an orphan. During that time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Big Thana, what a great name, and Teresh, Big Tana and Terry, two of the king's officers who guard the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. So by the end of the chapter, Esther is queen of Persia. This young Jewish orphan is queen of the Persian Empire. And together with her cousin, she has been responsible for unearthing an assassination plot against Xerxes, the king. And Mordecai's role has been documented in the official records of Persia. In the meantime, would-be assassins have been dealt with brutally. By the way, Xerxes wasn't always that lucky. Uh, Later, he was assassinated, many years later, but he was assassinated also. So in chapter 1 and 2, it's really just the introduction to the rest of this story, this intriguing story. Uh, The action really gets going next week. But there's a couple of things to draw out, I think, uh, before I lead us in prayer at the end of this. It's an intriguing story. But I want to say this is a theological story, even though God is not mentioned. It's a theological story, not a morality tale. So as you read through chapter 2, nothing is, no comment is made about Esther using her beauty and sleeping her way to become uh, the queen under instruction from her cousin. It, it's not a story about morality, but it's a story about the way in which the hidden God is at work for the good of his people. He's hidden here. I mean, in other places, it's easy to see that God is at work. Go back to the great deliverance that he brought through the Exodus. And you're watching the plagues in Egypt and you're saying, God is at work. As he rescues them through the Red Sea, you say, God is at work. We can see God when he overtly intervenes in history and say, God is at work. But we're going to learn from the book of Esther that even when a drunken king calls for his queen to come and display herself, God is invisibly working to raise up the little orphan Jew, Esther, to take her place and to use Esther to mightily deliver his people. Sorry, um, spoiler alert, that's, that's, what, that's what ends up happening in the book of Esther. See, there's no miracles in Esther. There's just this string of events which initially you could say it's just a coincidence, but there's so many of them as you read through. You realise that the unseen hand of God is at work, as it always is, for the good of his people, especially for their salvation. And this is the way God does things. Often, he's always working for his people. He often brings about surprising outcomes in surprising ways. None more so, of course, than when he sends a little baby to be born to another young woman. And angels turn up to help the shepherds understand that this is good news of great joy for people everywhere. We've been celebrating this at Christmas time. The birth of the one who would in the most unlikely way bring about extraordinary deliverance for God's people. Extraordinary deliverance. But see, that's the way God works through history again and again bringing delivery for his people. So many of the stories of of the Old Testament go back to Joseph and the way God placed him in such an extraordinary position down in Egypt. Uh, Watch the plagues of the Exodus. Listen to the stories of the judges, of the way in which little David would go out and fight Goliath again and again. God raises up people. God works through 
the, in, 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 often through the ordinary affairs of the world to bring about delivery for his people. So this is a theological story, a theological story, even though God is not mentioned. It's a part of the Bible because it's a part of the story of the people that God had made promises to. And here we see his faithfulness to those promises. So friends, I, I hope this has been a, um, uh, just a taster for you of what's ahead over these next few weeks. Listening to Esther gives us a chance to immerse ourselves in the wonder of our God. A God who, yes, he does do miracles, but he's not sleeping while he's not doing miracles. In fact, Psalm 121 uh, tells us that God never sleeps, he never slumbers. That he's always watching over his people. He's watching over us. This is such a great comfort if we're living with difficulty at the moment or if we find enormous challenges in this year ahead or if we're living with disappointment, if there are times of distress. God is watching over his people for our good and for ultimately our salvation. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always working all things for the good of his people. Difficult though they may be at the time. So friends, I think that's what the book of Esther is about. Even though God may be hidden from your sight, if you know him, you know you can trust him no matter how tough the times may be. You know that his ways are best despite how difficult they might be. I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask God to help us really take hold of this, that he'd feed us through his word over these few weeks. So Heavenly Father, we thank you above all for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, to deliver us and for sending your Spirit to be with us every day. We thank you that you are the all-powerful God, even of the mundane affairs of our lives, as much as you are the all-powerful God of the miracle and the beautiful sunrise. So guide us and guard us this year to keep trusting you and delighting to live your ways, always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. We're going to transition now and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's the most visual of ways that we see God acting in the world, which is in great contrast to Esther, where he's working in the background. Let me read to us uh, by way of introduction from 1 Corinthians 11, but if I can just encourage you, if you haven't got one of these, uh, which is our COVID-safe communion pack, uh, if you'd like to put your hand up and Ken at the back will bring them around. Has everyone got one? There's one over here, Ken. Do you need one? Terrific. Let me read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it was the Apostle Paul speaking about the significance and meaning of communion when he wrote to the Corinthian church. And he said these words, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He went on to say this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So with those words in our mind, uh, let's stop and pause and consider our own lives before we pray this prayer of confession, which will be on the screen. I'll just give us a few moments to be quiet. 
And if there's things you need to confess, uh, bring them before the Lord, and then we'll pray together this general prayer of confession. Together, merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Let me read you some words of assurance or reassurance from Paul in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus you have been set free from the law of sin and death. If you've got your COVID packs, let's take the top and bottom off. The clear one first. There's the little biscuit there. And the silver foil. So on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he given thanks, he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread and let's eat and remember Christ's body was broken for us. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he said to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood, my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's take our cups and drink and remember Christ's blood was shed for all of our sins. And let's pray together the prayer that's on the screen, prayer of thanksgiving. Together, Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sout in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Well, it's been a wonderful morning together. Uh, it's our first official eight o'clock for the year. And we've learnt that God might be hidden, but that doesn't mean he's not working. Uh, he is definitely working in the background in all of our lives and we know supremely uh, that his hiddenness was revealed with the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may you be encouraged this day as we seek to go out into the world, which is a difficult world, and to live for him knowing that God is still at work even when we don't see him. And so may the peace of God which passes all understanding Keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. Morning tea is served. We would invite you to come and join us for a cup of tea and a biscuit. Thank you. Thank you.